and to hear from John about what's taking place in our children's ministry, how he's seeing God move, and uh, hopefully to maybe give some ideas if maybe you feel like children's ministry might be the place where you could serve, uh, then maybe John maybe be able to give you some inspiration of how you could get plugged in there. So John, why don't you come on up and tell us what's going on. Well, if you can imagine in the children's ministry, we have a ton of uh, things going on from uh, different activities coming up, like we have our father-daughter date night, we've had a uh, a mother-son Nerf war night. I know the sons had fun uh, shooting their moms with some Nerf darts. Had a little fun with that. But uh, we ha- uh, it ranges from our Sunday school ministry, which that's kind of our front door on Sunday mornings, to our children's choirs that we have on Sunday nights, our missions programs that uh, we have going on on Wednesday nights with our RAs and GAs, uh, learning about missions. And then uh, we kind of started a new program with our preschoolers this past uh, January, uh, for learning the scriptures, the ABCs to hiding God's word in his heart. And it's taking a letter of the alphabet and they learn the scripture to that uh, letter. And kind of, I mean, we started that with a three-year-old. So kind of trying to teach them some different things. So they got some unique ways to do it. But there's always ways to plug in uh, within our children's ministry, whether it is through Sunday school or our mission programs or our different things coming up. But we also, our biggest event coming up is our vacation Bible school. And as always, I need your help with that. Um, that's our number one evangelistic outreach to our kids in our community here. Um, and you can look through Southern Baptist Life, and that's still the number one outreach. And in, in yeah, sorry, number one outreach for children and their families as we get them here for that. So, maybe tell us about some ways that God's been working in the children. Uh, it's uh, there, there's a lot of ways uh, I see God working. Just uh. I mean, only been back for a few months, but it's to see uh, God working through some kids. Uh, I mean, tonight we'll have a baptism. It's awesome to see that because that kind of started before I left, but uh, seeing the God working that way through baptism and then just seeing how much our kids are growing and learning about different things and seeing God move in their lives and change their lives and teaching them to how to be missionaries out there on the field, not just to be sitting back and waiting, but to get out there and to reach others with the gospel and I could see it, especially with some of our RA boys. I see it within my sons and some of the, their close friends and some of the, our, the GA girls, of them getting out there and sharing their faith with other kids and other families. And then just give us some ideas how we could get involved. Uh, how you can get involved? Uh, definitely Vacation Bible School. We're always needing help within our Sunday school, uh, needing help within our nursery ministry. Um, every Sunday, we're always needing help, and I'll never turn help down ever that we can. Uh, we need that to help, just to help minister to our families when they come in our door. Uh, we're kind of looking to put a hospitality team to kind of help greet when families come in, because um, we're always having new families each and every week, and that's an exciting to see new families, new guests that we get to minister to each and every week. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. I don't know who said it. I can't remember who said it first, but uh, maybe it was Adrian Rogers that said, you know, when we think about Christianity um, in America, um, it's never more than one generation from vanishing. Uh, if you want to be a part of a ministry that really does impact uh, the future of our country, I believe it's children's ministry. It's youth ministry. It's investing in, in our youth and our children and making sure and putting the Word of God, the seeds of the Word of God into their heart, into their life so that they can grow and in turn carry on the task of passing the faith in the next generation. And so if, uh, if something that John said maybe sparks your interest, maybe you, you're, you're still looking for a place of service, 
uh, be sure and see him, contact church office or email him, call him, come by the office and talk with him. Um, you know, sometimes we think about ministry and we think about service and all we ever think about is, well, I'm not a teacher. I can't teach. Uh, let me tell you, there's more ways you can serve than just being a teacher. Uh, we can find ways if your gift is just serving, if your gift is just making things, doing things. You know, you don't have to be the person to stand up in front of a class and teach in order to help. There are ways that you can get plugged in. And so please, if that's your heart, if that's where you feel like your heartbeat is, see John and he can help you out there. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Today we're going to start in verse 12. We're going to continue what we've been doing the past few weeks, uh, speaking on the Lord's Prayer. And last week we talked about that, that part of the prayer where Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And we looked at how uh, Jesus was, was teaching us there to pray dependently, that, that we depend on God to provide all of our basic needs. Uh, but today we get to a, a call to pray regarding forgiveness. And you know, if, if bread, like we talked about last week, if bread, if food is really our most basic, our most essential physical need, then I believe that forgiveness is our most basic, essential spiritual need. I read one time a, a, a man who directed a mental hospital who said this. He said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, that lack of forgiveness has a way of, I believe, of absolutely wrecking our, our minds and wrecking our, our souls. I read a story um, this past week from a town in Pennsylvania. Um, the police station there received a letter in the mail and it had $5 in it, and it had a 44-year-old parking ticket. And there was a note in that letter that said this. It said, Dear police, police Department, I've been carrying this ticket around for 40-plus years. I always intended to pay. Forgive me if I don't give you my information. With respect, Dave. And the ticket was dated 1974, and it was for $2, and the man was generous enough to include $3 in interest uh, for a ticket that today would have cost about 20 bucks. Now, you might not be carrying around any unpaid parking tickets, and if you do, I would suggest you take care of those things. Um, but that may not be what's weighing down your soul with guilt, but you've likely experienced what I'm getting at. You've probably done something wrong. You've felt the weight of guilt, and you've just longed to hear the words, you're forgiven. Well, let's, look in, let's start in verse 11 and to get into it, and let's read and see what Jesus prays about here in the Lord's Prayer. He says in verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. That's our most basic physical need. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want us to think about two prayers that we ought to be praying this morning. First one is this. God, forgive us. God, forgive us. If I were to do, to do a poll, a survey of our congregation, and ask our congregation, what do you think is the root problem to the things that are going on in this world, to all the evil that's going on in this world? What do you think is the biggest issue, the biggest problem that we have in our nation, in our world, in our state, in our city? I probably would get a pretty wide range of answers. Uh, some people might say, well, I think the biggest problem is a lack of education. Um, some people might say, it might, I think our biggest problem is racism. Maybe it's poverty. Uh, some people would even say that our biggest problem in this world is, is, is religion, maybe even. Um, but but I, some people might say it's income inequality. They might come up with all kinds of different reasons. But I liked what um, one of our seminary presidents, Dr. Al Moeller, said. He said, our fundamental spiritual problem is not a lack of education, a lack of opportunity, 
an inability to express ourselves or unmet, unmet social needs. Our problem is sin. Sin. And that sin problem is exactly why Jesus taught us here to pray, forgive us our debts. We need forgiveness because we all are sinners. And that sin has an eternal price. It has separated us from God. I mean, if we go all the way back to Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2, God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. They had everything they possibly could want, everything they could possibly need. They walked with God on a daily basis. Life was good. But then they fell to temptation as that serpent lured them to take of the fruit of that tree. And that punishment that they received was what? They were cast out of the garden. They were separated from God's presence. But that sin also brought physical death into the world. There was an animal that had to die to cover their sins. They were cast out of the garden and were, were, were cursed. Uh, there would be death. There would be pain. There would be, there would be hardship. It was not God's perfect will. It was not his desire for this to take place. But he had given them the free will to choose. And they chose disobedience. And just in case you're wondering, we would have chose the same thing if we had been there too. But that sin didn't just cause physical death. It caused spiritual death as well in the form of that eternal separation from God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Sin has an eternal price tag. I think that's why Jesus here prays, Forgive us our debts. That word debts, he's referring to sin. But it's interesting that he uses the word debts there. And I think it's because sin costs us something. There is a price to be paid for our sin. It's a price that you and I cannot pay off on our own. We cannot undo it with any kind of good works or any kind of great deeds or just because we're nice people. We cannot undo that price. Because of our sin, we have a debt. To pay. For the Jews in Jesus' day who first heard this, that word debt would imply severe pain for the person who was in debt and also for the family. You know, we think about debt today and we think about the fact that most everybody seems to be in debt in some way, shape, or form, whether that's mortgage debt or whether that's a car loan or whether that's credit card debt or whether that's student loans or Whatever it might be, we all seem to have just a little bit of debt. But in that day, that wasn't the case. And in fact, if you couldn't pay your debts, um, you, were, you, you were in very serious threat of being thrown into debtor's prison, it was what it was called. And you would remain in debtor's prison until your family came up with the money to pay it off. And sometimes that could be days, weeks, months, years even, until you could be set free because of your debts. And so for them, unpaid debt was a serious offense and it brought about serious punishment. Well, our sin came with a serious punishment, eternal separation from God. But here's the good news. Not only do we need forgiveness, but here Jesus is teaching us that we have the hope of forgiveness. Because think about this. Why would Jesus tell us to pray to God asking God to forgive us our debts? if God wasn't also willing to forgive us of our debts. Jesus is implying here that God is willing to forgive and that He, Christ, was the one who made the way. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ has made the way for your debt to be paid. No matter how large that debt may seem, it was Jesus Christ's death on a cross, His burial, His resurrection that paid the price for your sin if only you would receive it. Have you received that forgiveness today? Have you come to the point of recognizing your sin? Have you come to that place of realizing that Christ is the solution for your sin? That he died on a cross for you? That he paid a debt that you could not pay? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Have you received the forgiveness that he offers? If not, why not today? Why not do that today? But let me also add this. Our need for forgiveness doesn't end at salvation. Now, before you get the wrong idea there, let me clarify. As a Christian, at the moment of salvation, you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, have been forgiven for our sins, past, present, and future. The eternal consequence of every sin that you and I would ever commit as believers has been wiped clean. Psalm chapter 103, verse 12 says, He has removed our sins as far as from the east is from the West. Now, I don't know how much time you spent looking at a globe, but did the East and the West ever meet? No. You can begin to travel East, and you can continue to travel East for all eternity, and you will never start going West. You know, if you were to go North on a globe, eventually you're going to pass Santa's workshop, and you're going to start going South, right? And if you go South on the globe, you're eventually going to pass some penguins in Antarctica, and you're going to start going North, right? But as far as the east is from the west, he is saying it is gone. There is no way that you and your sin consequence are ever coming back together. You are eternally forgiven. However, though we are eternally forgiven, unconfessed sin in the life of the believer does destroy our fellowship with the Lord. We cannot possibly be saying, we cannot possibly say that we are walking in close communion with God when we have unconfessed sin in our heart. It doesn't work. I mean, just think about this in our regular everyday life. Have you ever had a time in your life where someone did you wrong and they didn't, they didn't confess that, they didn't try to work that out, they just tried to act like nothing had happened? Maybe they lied to you, maybe they stole something from you, whatever it might be. And you know, What happens there? It drives a wedge into that relationship, Right? You, you begin to think, why don't they see this that they've done? Why don't they confess this? Why don't they ask for my forgiveness? And there's a separation there. You know, we like to think sometimes that time heals all wounds, but sometimes it doesn't, does it? And, though, and as time goes on, we try to act like it's not a big deal, but that memory lingers, and eventually it builds, and it gets worse. Well, I think if it's true in our earthly relationships, I believe it's also true in our heavenly relationship. That when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, there is a wedge that is driven between us and the Lord, and we are no longer walking in faithfulness. Christ has called us to walk in obedience. And, and you know, the truth is, is that we're not going to do that perfectly. That, that, that when you come to Christ, you're still going to sin. I'm still going to sin. And we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, and praise the Lord that we have been eternally forgiven. But when we realize we have sinned, what ought we to do? Just act like nothing happened? No, we must confess that, turn back to the Lord. Now, we don't do that because we're afraid that we're going to go to hell if we don't. No, we do that because we want to come back into close communion with God. 
I believe ongoing forgiveness deepens that relationship. It draws us closer to the Lord as we more and more appreciate the forgiveness that He gives us. I mean, listen to what John says. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. He says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so if we say, Hey, I, me and Jesus are good, but there's unconfessed sin in my life. You know what? We're lying. We're not walking in the truth. Verse 7, But if we walk in light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, just in case you're confused here, John the Apostle is writing to a group of Christians teaching this group of Christians who have been eternally forgiven of their sin that they still need to be praying and seeking God's forgiveness for sin, not for the eternal consequence, because that's been wiped away, but for fellowship, so that we would be in close fellowship with the Lord. And the amazing thing we learn from that passage is, is that it is guaranteed. Look at verse 9 again. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins. We are never beyond God's willingness to forgive. Isn't that good news? Amen? Isn't that good news that we will never do something that is so horrific that God would say, that's too much, I can't do it. No sin is too great. No person is too far gone. You cannot exhaust God's willingness to forgive. God can and He will forgive every person who cries out to him. I, I like what this guy said. Richard Sibbs is his name. He said, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Isn't that good? Isn't that true? Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our, debtor, our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. So there's another part of this prayer that we need to understand. It's not just for us to seek forgiveness, but it's also for us to learn to become a forgiver. I believe the second prayer is this. God, teach us to forgive as we have forgiven our debtors now if you've been following the sermon on the mount closely as we've been studying this since august um, you might know that we've talked about this before i believe twice actually um, way back in, in matthew chapter 5 verse 7 this is what jesus said he said blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy so blessed are those who give mercy they're going to receive mercy um, and I was tempted, honestly, just to skip over this part because I thought, you know, I preached this before. People are going to think, man, he said this thing before. But then I thought, well, if Jesus thought it was smart enough to repeat it twice in one sermon, maybe I should repeat it twice in a few months. Now, here, here's what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying, forgive us our debts because we have forgiven our debtors. I do not believe that our forgiveness from God is dependent upon us forgiving others. And this is why. If it was, then salvation would be by works. If our salvation was dependent upon our willingness to forgive other people, that would mean that we were earning our salvation by the things that we do. And that is not what Scripture teaches us. And also that would mean that we could lose our salvation because let's just imagine that at some point we decided not to forgive someone does that mean then that God would revoke our salvation? I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that's what he's after. Now, I can understand where we could get confused because look down in verse 14, Matthew 6, 14. 
Jesus says something that if you took it the wrong way, you could take it to mean that exact thing. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. But if we take this with other scripture, I believe that what Jesus is telling us this is not that we have been forgiven because we forgive, It's that we forgive because we have been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive. Because of the grace and the mercy that we've experienced from God through the love of Jesus Christ, through the work of Jesus Christ, we have been transformed and are being transformed into the image of Christ. Now, we would call that in the fancy term would be sanctification. That God is sanctifying us. That when we came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live within us, and He's beginning to do a work in us to make us like Jesus Christ. And part of that work is to teach us to be forgiving people, to teach us to imitate Christ in the way that He forgave. But how often do we fail to truly reflect the character of Christ because we refuse to forgive someone, because we hold a grudge? You know, Jesus preached on that exact thing in Matthew 18. We won't read it, but Matthew 18, uh, he gives the parable of the unforgiving servant. And if you remember that parable, if you don't, let me just give you a little synopsis of it. So Jesus tells a story about this, this servant who is in debt to his master by millions of dollars, the way Jesus describes it. He has this massive debt that he cannot possibly repay, and the master is about to throw him into debtor's prison where he will sit and rot likely for the rest of his life. And the the servant begs to his master and says, give me more time, I will repay. And the master, in his grace and mercy, says, you know what? I'm going to forgive you of that debt. It's gone. Well, that forgiven servant then turns and goes to another servant who owes him thousands of dollars, still a lot of money, but just still thousands of dollars, and begins to beat that man and threaten to throw that man into prison. The one who had been forgiven refused to forgive. The one who had received much in mercy refused to give even a small amount of mercy. Now, why would Jesus tell that parable? I think he was trying to make this point. Too often, we are the unforgiving servant. Too often, we are the ones who withhold forgiveness. I was reading in in one of my devotional books this week, this guy by the name of Paul David Tripp. I don't know if you've any of you are familiar with his writings, but he's really good. I mean, he wrote a book called New Morning Mercies. If you're looking for a devotional, I would recommend it. Um, but he was talking on this the other day, the, path, the, the chapter I was reading, the page I was reading, and this is what he said. I just wanted to quote this to you. In talking about the fact that we are the unforgiving servant, he said, We celebrate God's mercy, but scream at our children when they mess up. We sing of amazing grace, but punish our spouses with silence when they offend us. We praise God for his love, but forsake a friendship because someone has been momentarily disloyal. We are thankful that we've been forgiven, but say that a person who is suffering the result of his decisions is getting what he deserves. We bask in God's grace, but throw the law at others. We're simply not that good at mercy because we tend to see ourselves as more deserving than the poor and the needy. Let me tell you, when I read that, it hit me right between the eyes. Because I realized that's me. We tend to downplay the evil that we do to others, but then exaggerate the evil that's done to us. 
And we hold on to it until the time is just right because we don't want to give the same kind of mercy that we've received. And that begins to build like pressure in our souls. A while back, um, maybe a year ago or so, um, I wasn't home and Kim and the boys were at home and, and uh, she decided to cook something in the microwave and threw something in the microwave and walked off and the boys, they were back in the playroom uh, playing and all of a sudden Kim said she heard this loud boom and she thought, oh my goodness, what just happened? And she walked into the kitchen and Caleb beat her into the kitchen and he's just going, oh mama, oh mama, oh mama. Kim had stuck a spaghetti squash in the microwave and she had not forked it enough. And when she microwaved that thing, it built up pressure on the inside and it blew up. It blew the door of the microwave open and sprayed spaghetti squash all over the house. Uh, the kitchen, we found it in the dining room like weeks later. I'm sitting there looking at it I'm like, what is that on the floor? It looks like a dried up booger from one of the boys. And it was spaghetti squash. They just shot out of this thing. Because it did not, there was no release. I mean, there was not enough forks in it, you know. And so the pressure just mounted until it could not hold anymore. You know, that's what unforgiveness does to our hearts. Builds pressure in our souls, the ones who don't forgive. But it also does in the soul of the person that hasn't been forgiven. It wreaks havoc. Causes us to explode. Now, is forgiveness hard work? You better believe it. Does it take time? Absolutely. Sometimes do we have a, take, does it take days, months, weeks to get to the point of being ready to forgive someone? Absolutely it does. Is it painful? You better believe it is. But what I'm saying is, is that we best not withhold from someone else what we expect to receive from God. Let me say that again. We best not withhold from someone else what we expect God to give to us. Psalm chapter 103, verse 1, it says this. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now, here comes the benefits in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, sometimes we are guilty of wanting the benefits of God, but yet refusing to give those same benefits to other people. Sometimes we are guilty of applying more requirements for someone else to receive forgiveness from us than God has required for us to receive forgiveness from Him. We are called to be forgivers. Now this is what Paul David Tripp said in the rest of that, little com- that devotion I was reading. He said, but when God's mercy, God's call of mercy collides with your lack of mercy, you begin to see yourself with accuracy. You begin to confess that you don't have inside you what God requires. You begin to admit to to yourself and others that you cannot live up to God's standard. So you begin to cry out for the very thing that you have refused to give to others. And as you begin to remember that God's mercy is your only hope and you meditate on the grandeur of the mercy that has been showered on you, you begin to want to help others experience that same mercy. What he's trying to say is is that forgiveness doesn't come from our own hearts. It comes from the Holy Spirit working within us. God has called us to be forgiver. That's not on our own power. That's on the power of God as Jesus Christ is working in and through us. This morning, let me close with two things. I want to give you two quick measuring sticks that I think we can take from this verse that we could say are measuring sticks to your spiritual health. 
Um, if you were to measure your life by these questions, I think you could get a good gauge of where you are spiritually. And the first one is simply this. Do you forgive others? Do you forgive others? I believe that that statement is a gauge of your heart. It gives us a picture of just how ready are you to imitate your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, it measures the distance, I believe, between you and the Lord. That's what John was telling us there. Um, that if there's, if there's sin, if there's darkness in us, then there's a distance between us and the Lord. But if we're willing to, to live like Christ, then we are drawn close. Are you willing to forgive others? How's your heart measure up? And secondly, have you been forgiven by God? Have you sought the Lord's forgiveness in salvation? And have you sought His forgiveness continually as you walk through this life in order to remain close to Him? You know, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. That's the only thing that matters. Just think about it like this. Next to our church over here, um, we have a cemetery, right? Um, now, in that cemetery, and this is the same case with any cemetery, there are family members, there are people that are very near and dear to people in our church, right? We could walk through that place and we could see names. Um, now, I know some of the names over there, but I don't know them all. And those, those people are very special to the people of our church, right? Um, but to someone who doesn't know them, it's just a name on a stone, correct? And that person might have accomplished great things in life. They might have done wonderful things. They might have been a great person. They might have been extremely loving. They might have... Um, who knows, they might have won great awards and made lots of money and had kids that adored them and grandkids that loved them and all those kind of things. Um, but you know, the truth is, is that within about two generations, the details of your life are completely forgotten. You know, isn't it true? Things get passed down to maybe one generation, your grandkids, and then beyond that, we just become distant memories. And at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is have we been forgiven? Because that's the only thing that lasts. That's the only thing that sticks around for eternity is the answer to that one simple question. Have we been forgiven? When we step out of this earth, out of this world, are we going to step to the throne room of God and be received as a forgiven child of God? Or will we be rejected as one who refused to seek the Lord's forgiveness? Would you pray with me? Father God, oh, how we thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace and your mercy that you have poured out on us. Father, if there's someone in this room today who has never experienced your forgiveness, who have never turned and received the gift of Jesus Christ, the, the, the shed blood of Jesus, if there's someone who's never been eternally forgiven of their sins and become a child of God, I pray that today would be that day that they would recognize their sin in the state that they are in, that they would realize that Jesus Christ is the answer and that he offers unto them forgiveness. And I pray that they would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But Father, we also come here today as sinners who have been made saints, but sometimes still act like sinners. Father God, if there is unconfessed sin in our lives as believers, that we need to deal with today. I pray that today would be that day that we would turn to you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that today would be that, that, that 
fresh start for us. God, if there be someone today who we need to forgive, if there's some offense that we have just elevated in our minds, and maybe it is truly, genuinely a serious offense, God, I pray that we would see that, that, that just like in that parable, the unforgiving servant, God, that though someone might owe us little, we've owed you much and you've forgiven us. And so we are called to imitate you in forgiving others. Father God, give us wisdom in how to deal with those situations and help us to experience the release of turning those things over to you as we imitate your son, Jesus. Father, move in this time of invitation. If there's decisions that are being made, I pray, God, that you would just urge that person to step out of the aisle and to make that decision. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?